I'm Spencer Levy, and this is The Weekly Take. Whether you're an occupier, owner, landlord, or investor, this show is for you. A topic that's central to some of our economy's most important commercial real estate. On this episode, we're talking net lease. I think if you look at retail in the 21st century, the future of retail is net lease. The future of retail is freestanding. And that's a very simple reason why. That's Joey Agree, CEO of Agree Realty, a REIT that invests in the space with a focus on retail, and notably, just invested a record amount of capital in the sector during the third quarter. The demand for net lease office is really high. When you look at the broader office market, I would venture to say that it is the most highly traded assets within the office sector. And that's Will Pike, a vice chairman who leads CBRE's Net Lease Property Group, which covers net lease across the industry at large. With apologies to basketball fans, this show is nothing but net. Net lease, that's right now on The Weekly Take. Welcome to The Weekly Take, and I'm delighted to be joined by Joey Agree of Agree Realty. Hello, Joey. Good afternoon. How are you? And CBRE's own leader in the net lease space, Will Pike. Will, thanks for being here. Spencer, thanks for having me. Well, we're going to discuss the ins and outs of net leasing across various subsectors, from office to industrial, and of course, the retail space where Agree Realty specializes. We'll talk about the impact of this pandemic on this type of landlord-tenant relationship and more. But first, let's turn to Joey. When I first proposed an episode on net lease, our producers doubted the importance of the subject. Can you explain to us, Joey, why my producers are wrong? I would never want to argue with your producers, but net lease as a sector and as a property type is growing in importance across the country, really across the world today. It's a major component of significant direct and indirect investors' real estate portfolios and provides a stability um, and, frankly, transparency of cash flows in an ever-changing world that has a lot of ups and downs uh, and a lot of moving pieces. So I think it's an important topic for people to understand, um, and it's a growing in importance in terms of relevance in in commercial real estate. So, Will, I want to first paint a picture for the audience. There's a lot of real estate people out there, a lot of investors out there. They just don't know what net lease real estate is. In the simplest terms you can, just describe what net lease real estate is as opposed to other forms of real estate? Great question, Spencer, as there does tend to be some confusion regarding the space. Net lease properties are not characterized by asset class or tenant, but by their lease structure, in which the tenant agrees to pay a portion or all the taxes, insurance, and common area maintenance costs, in addition to, of course, the rent. Important to note, um, these assets can have office, industrial, retail, healthcare, and other types of commercial tenants What sets the investments apart from other sectors of commercial real estate space is that they're usually leased by one tenant with minimal to no landlord responsibilities. Additionally, most of the leases are long-term structures. Um, Net lease investors can vary from one-off individuals to the largest institutions in the world, but they are all attracted to the sector for the same compelling risk-adjusted returns. Most of our colleagues deal in office, industrial, and some of these niche sectors that have higher operational costs, but may have higher returns. What about those sectors versus net lease from an investor standpoint? Well, having minimal to no 
landlord responsibilities is a good thing um, from my perspective, especially for foreign capital sources um, or any type of investors. Within that lease, it can be office, industrial, retail. Again, it goes back to it's more about the lease structure and term of the lease, and they tend to be single-tenant in nature. The yields can also vary depending on the underlying credit of the properties. So in, you know, I wouldn't want to characterize a space by being a lower-yielding product because that's not necessarily the case if you go, I would say, take more of a risk on the underlying credit of the property. So it can be low-yielding, um, very low-risk returns, yet you can also have a different strategy where you're looking at sub-investment grade credits with very compelling risk-adjusted returns. So, Joey, your firm focuses exclusively on net lease product. I've read that you did a record amount of capital deployment in the third quarter, which is a complete outlier in where the commercial real estate business is today. Uh, tell us more about that. Yeah, third quarter was a record for us. We invested $470 million, about 95 properties across the country. Uh, notable acquisitions included TJ Maxx Home Goods in Napa Valley, California, uh, a number of Walmart acquisitions, Home Depot acquisitions, Tractor Supply, O'Reilly, AutoZone, National Tire and Battery. So really leading operators across what we call e-commerce and recession-resistant sectors or omni-channel critical retailers uh, across the United States. So it was, it was a busy quarter for our transaction diligence team, and we look to continue for that momentum in the fourth quarter. Well, let me push you just a little bit, Joey. Uh, a lot of the guests that we've had on previously, from data centers to cold storage to life sciences, are all focused on these operational types of real estate where they're getting not only lease income, they're getting ancillary service income. Are we missing an opportunity in that lease to do that, or you're happy where you are? No, I think, look, REITs by definition are, are, are creatures of the tax code, have to pay out 90% of taxable income just to maintain REIT compliance. And so there are REITs that have ancillary income outside of rental revenue uh, that falls within the REIT's traditional purview and use taxable REIT subsidiaries, TRSs. Um, for, for those types of entities. Net lease is all about the transparency, the predictability, the sustainability of those cash flows, the lack of operational intensity, and frankly, the passive nature of, of collecting checks and having tenants responsible for the traditional nets, CAM, taxes, and insurance uh, provide for that predictability with that bond-like structure in terms of cash flows combined with the real estate underwriting to get to a terminal or residual value. Now, Joey, the pandemic has been tragic in so many ways, but given your performance in the third quarter of buying, given the structure of your leases, yeah. and I say this not disrespectfully to the people who had a very human uh, tragic cost to the pandemic, but has the pandemic accelerated the strength of the net lease industry? Well, I would tell you overall, I think it's continued to position net lease as the favorable and freestanding net lease specifically is the favorable asset type for retailers. And you see retailers that are in freestanding formats able to achieve success in an omni-channel world through various points of purchases, whether that's shop in line for essential retailers during the depths of the pandemic, or whether it's uh, amenable to BOPIS, buy online, pick up in store, drive-through windows, which become critical, contactless delivery, which we never envisioned, I don't think, uh, at least I didn't envision, as well as ship the home from store to fulfill last mile distribution. So I think it's, it's, it's a critical piece of the infrastructure for retailers today. And that's why I believe the best retailers in the world will continue to prefer freestanding net lease formats in the future. Will, how are you seeing market conditions in net lease from your perspective? Yeah, the data from the third quarter is showing that 
we were roughly in the 18% range. So to put that in context, the highest percentage of the overall space that NetLease had ever comprised was back in the 2009 in the middle of the financial crisis, and that was around 15%. So the last two quarters have been the highest share percentage ever in the space, and that's just a lot of what Joey just mentioned. It's you know focused on flight to quality, risk-adjusted returns, which you're getting in NetLease properties, whether that's industrial, retail, or office. That's a big component of the space. And Joey did a great job of going over the underlying leases and what kind of comprises net lease. But the interesting aspect of our sector is that individuals, investors are in the space, along with the largest institutions in the world. So that's where it probably differs a little from other you know, sectors within commercial real estate. Well, Joey, you mentioned that you focus primarily on retail properties, and you mentioned some of the biggest names in retail as among your tenants. But I don't want to be negative, but I think it's fair to say that there is a pall over the retail industry overall, uh, but you seem to be doing incredibly well. Um, why is that? Well, I think you're, you're correct in that there is somewhat of a cloud over retail. And so there's no doubt the U.S. has too much retail square footage, too many retailers. We have 24 square feet per capita in this country. So that means for every individual in this country, we have 24 square feet of retail space. Second highest in the Western world is Canada at 16 square feet per capita. Western Europe's about four, four and a half square feet, and Asia's about one and a half square feet. So look, we fully expect e-commerce penetration to be approximately 20% of sales by mid-2020s. It's been accelerated, obviously, by a pandemic. But at the same time, our perspective of retail, and I think the new, more nuanced perspective of retail, um, is that retail is really a K pattern today. There are winners and there are losers. And in order to be a winner in retail, you have to have a value proposition. But most importantly, you have to have the balance sheet and liquidity to deliver on that value proposition to consumers today. And so what we see today and what our proverbial sandbox focuses on is that 25 to 30 retailers in this country that have the balance sheets and the wherewithal and can deliver that value proposition to a 21st century omnichannel consumer. So we're focused on that upper leg of the K, and those are the winners. And the, the bottom leg of the K, which ever gets all the headlines, the JCPenney's and the Sears of the world and the men's warehouses and all the bankruptcies that we've seen and will continue to see, which will shrink overall square footage and, and, and square footage per capita in this space, uh, we truly believe the stronger getting stronger. You can see it in their results. You can see it in their sales per square foot. And they're able to afford a consumer a, a total omni-channel experience, whether it's shop and store, buy online, pick up and store, or deliver that last mile, which is very expensive to people's houses. How's it going right now in the office sector? Because we are certainly hearing not the same level of concern of retail, but certainly work from home and other factors are impacting that. How is that impacting net lease office, Will? Net lease office, if the underlying credit of the company is let's obviously investment grade or has a very compelling story, I would say that the pricing is pre-COVID capitalization rates. Extremely aggressive, especially from the um, foreign investment community. So th the demand for net lease office is really high. When you look at the broader office market, I would venture to say that it is the most highly traded um, assets within the office sector. So from what we're seeing on the ground, it's still very healthy. If you have, again, I'll go back to the mission critical component of the office, you have to have that attribute coupled with long-term lease and good credit. If you have those three, we're seeing record pricing. Let's stay on office for a second. I'm 
Mr. or Ms. Big Occupier, good credit. Why would I consider doing a sale lease back, a credit tenant lease uh, versus just being a traditional tenant? What's in it for me? Um, Joey, what do you think? Well, there are a lot of users you know, across NetLease subsectors who own their real estate, who look at the real estate and say their capital is locked up. They can get better returns on that capital or have alternate uses of that capital, either in their core business or elsewhere, that no longer want to have their capital locked up into a physical plant, i.e. Uh, a fee simple interest in real estate. And so the sale leaseback mechanism is a good way to retain effective ownership, right, through control, through the base term plus options, um, but at the same time maximize proceeds um, subject to where the debt markets are and take those proceeds and use that capital to hire return investment opportunities for them. So it's a way to you know, make a balance sheet asset lighter. Um, it's a way to raise capital in an efficient way. And so you see retailers, industrial users, as well as office users all look at it at different points in the economic cycles as a source for capital based on their necessities. Well, Will, how has that market changed during the pandemic? Are we seeing more demand for that? We're seeing more demand. And Joey summarized the needs for sell lease backs perfectly. And I will also tell you that no sell lease back is created equal. Um, occupiers can use the capital to pay down debt. Uh, they can use the capital to, in, you know, in the case of retail, pay for a new expansion for their store locations or if they're retrofitting buildings. So it's a creative way to use capital that you already have within the real estate to pay for some of these real estate enhancements. Paying down debt was the traditional when people think about sell lease back financing. But again, it can be a tool to be used very efficiently, um, buying back assets in some cases on shorter leases, then restructuring the sell lease back at or the same rent. You can take a gain, not take a gain. Again, every one of the situations is different. But what we're seeing from an occupier standpoint are more sell lease backs and occupiers also using their real estate in a better way and being smarter about it um, for portfolio optimization purposes. Joey, we've had a lot of niche sectors on, uh, including cold storage, including data centers, including life sciences. And each one of them said, we are not in a real estate business. They said they were in the data business, the tech business, the service business, but all, they, all of them were in operational real estate. They said, aha, this is where we can get the best returns possible. Are you in the real estate business or are you in the finance business? We are in we are in the real estate business. We have minimal operational responsibilities pursuant to the net leases that we have. We have over a thousand properties in this portfolio, uh, forty seven full time team members and growing at AG Realty. Um, but we are we are one hundred percent an operating real estate company. But we aren't selling uh, the drugs at the CVS behind me or the merchandise at the Walmart or the lumber at Home Depot. That's, that's, we leave that to, to first-class operators. I think that's good news because uh, this is a real estate company's podcast. <laughs> you are the first CEO of a publicly traded REIT who's, yeah. who said, doggone it, I am in the real estate business. So good for you. Maybe I should change the story then. Maybe we get a higher multiple. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to quote Victor Coleman, who is uh, one of the leaders of Media Real Estate, CEO of HPP, from last week's podcast. And this is what he said about real estate. We're both in the service and business. And I think the days of, you know, your grandparents' real estate companies that would collect checks every month and say, you know, thanks for being on our assets. Good luck. I'll speak to you a month from now when I get another check from you. Those are way gone. Is Victor wrong, Joey? He's dead wrong. 
Uh, sorry, Victor. Uh, the, the, <laughs> no, no, those days are, are far from gone. I think, I'm not sure what direction Victor was heading, but I think if you look at retail in the 21st century, the future of retail is net lease. The future of retail is freestanding. And that's a very simple reason why. If you're stuck in the middle of a shopping center or the middle of a mall, unless you're a point of service business, the premises as defined in your lease is within the four walls of your building. You aren't able without landlord's consent, other tenants' consent, subject to reciprocal easement agreements and other documentation, municipal constraints, to actually adjust parking fields, create drive-up lanes, create pickup windows and focus slots and all the things that retailers need today in an omnichannel world. You compare and you, know, you contrast that to net lease and single tenant structures where the entire premises is defined not as the four walls of the structure itself, but the entire parcel. And so if you look at the best retailers in the world today with very few exceptions, they're either all on a freestanding basis or they're at least on an end cap where they have three walls of a building exposed. They're able to modify parking lots. They're able to create pickup windows and drive-through lanes and focus slots and buy online, pick up in store and ship from store, as well as have customers enter in a traditional shopping pattern in-store shopping. And so I would say the future of retail will be heavily modified to skew toward omni-channel amenability for consumers and it will be on a freestanding nature. This is the future of retail, um, and it's the future, I think, that everyone is beginning to see now. Yeah, and one thing to add to that, Joey, those are all fantastic points, and I think you could take that a step further when you think of the best logistics companies, um, where they're locating their assets, how fungible are the properties, um, are they using the best technology in their industrial space? You can also look at the office when you're thinking about from an occupier standpoint, where can I get the best talent? What type of environment do I want to create post-COVID? I think all those components are, you know, can go across the commercial real estate sector. I mean, especially when you get as nuanced into medical office and some of these other things. That's right. And I think if you look during the depths of COVID, really the depths, and hopefully those depths are behind us. But Best Buy is a perfect example. Five years ago, the market wrote Best Buy off is dead. Best Buy, during the depths of COVID, when most people were on lockdown, retained 95 plus percent of their sales. No stores open. 95 plus percent of sales. You could buy online, they'd ship to you, or you could buy online and pick it up in the store. Tractor supply, same store sales up 30% during the depths of COVID. Freestanding. Buy online, ship to you, buy online, pick up in store, and they were an essential retailer and they were open. So if you look at these retailers, they're logistics companies, and there is no logistics companies that's going to service in-store purchases, BOPIS, again, buy online, pick up in store, as well as home delivery last mile from the store with only a front entry that has glazing and doors for a consumer and a back entry, which has a dumpster and a truck well and for deliveries. It doesn't work. So you need at least three sides of a building, optimally four sides of the building for ideal circulation. And, and that is net lease. So I, I would challenge anybody to rethink retail. That's our new tagline here at Agri Realty. It's rethink retail. Retail's not dead. It is sure changing very, very fast. Yeah, and this post-pandemic ecosystem um, with the industrial assets we were talking about in conjunction with the retailers, 
there's room for all of this to thrive, um, especially the best-in-class operators in each space. Let's talk about that for a minute because I want to talk about credit. We have traditional credit as defined by Standard & Poor's, Moody's, and other rating agencies. And then we have, is this business going to be viable, notwithstanding what the big rating agencies say? Will, from your perspective, um, how much do we underwrite not just what the credit rating agencies say, but the underlying businesses? Well, I think post-financial crisis, um, smart investors are not just taking the S&P Moody's or shadow rating. Um, They're digging a little deeper. And when you went into COVID, um, some things surfaced. Frankly, and, and Joey can probably speak to this as well, some of the retailers that may have had some issues that were not completely to the surface, COVID just accelerated that process. And it, it wasn't just retailers, it could be office users. So I think it's credit underwriting. Also, looking at it from a business standpoint, how does this fit into 2020 and beyond? Whether that's what the business is doing, how they're going to operate in a post-COVID you know, COVID environment. So it's credit underwriting in conjunction with common sense. How does this business fit in with the world going forward? I think it's a very simple way to look at it. What are the macro factors that you look at on a daily basis or look out into the future and say, these are going to have the greatest impact on this sector from a macro basis? Is it going to be interest rates? Is it going to be um, some form of new equity capital source from uh, a foreign country? Um, Really, from a capital markets macro basis, what are the key factors that you think about or worry about for the future for NetLease? I try not to worry about anything out of my control. Um, so I, I do think you probably need to break it down in th- uh, the three main categories. Office, the, the macro factors I'm looking for are how people are going back into the space, when that will happen. The results thus far have been interesting. I, for one, like to be in an office environment. Following those patterns are going to be critical from the net lease office component. We've discussed and all know about what's going on in the logistics space. I foresee that to continue. I know that you had um, a contrarian investor that basically called into question the underlying value of the industrial assets to where they're priced from a risk-adjusted return standpoint. I don't foresee that problem. Retail, it's all about what we talked about. The essential retailers I see continuing to thrive Um, I think, if anything, the pandemic, maybe some cabin fever has set in to a certain degree. Um, And I think that's reflected in the sales for traffic um, that's frankly not talked about enough. And when I think of macro things that could impact the space, one, I'm I'm very excited about the size and scale that it's grown to. I mentioned it's an over $70 billion industry now. I would like to see, and I think we'll continue to see, more private investors invest in firms like Joey's and others, because again, it is a a great asset class where you can have a diversified group of tenants um, when compared to other aspects of commercial real estate. And this isn't just my opinion. It's been proven out by stock performances, read indexes, et cetera. And also when you look at overall rent collections and occupancy, again, not my opinion. This has been proven out with data. So let me uh, wrap up now with final thoughts from each of you. Joey, starting with you, five years from now, looking back on the net lease sector, number one, how much bigger is it? Number two, 
How much more valuable is it? And any other thoughts on the sector looking back five years from now? Well, I think given everything we've discussed, the sector is only going to continue to grow in terms of a percentage of the overall read index. You know, it's already 65% of U.S. retail GLA, as I mentioned. I think it's only going to grow in format because of the omni-channel capabilities we talked about. It's only going to grow in investability. I mean, I remember in 2011, 2012, the net lease space was 2 to 3% of the overall REIT index. Today, it's about 8 or 9% of approaching 10% of the overall REIT index. I think the wins are at the back of net lease. I think the wins are at the back of the stronger operators. In terms of how much it grows, a lot of it, frankly, Spencer, is going to be dependent upon uh, how many more niche products, as you mentioned, came out there. I mean, casino REITs, no one would have thought about that one a few years ago. And so what net, I mean, net lease stadiums, that wasn't a bad idea there. Maybe you should throw that one out there, Will, to some of these, uh, <laughs> to some of these operators. They're certainly not getting attendance and parking concession revenue right now. Given the uncertainty and the dynamic world that we live in today, given the volatility that we see in a lot of these markets, certainty of cash flow, yield, and as my friend Warren Buffett says, capital preservation at the end of the day is, is first and foremost. And so, look, it, it, it's a sector that has a lot of powerful attributes to it, given everything we see going on in this world and all of the unpredictable. So I think it's going to continue to grow. I think it's going to continue to grow dynamically. And I think it's going to continue to be the preferred port right for real estate investing for years to come. I agree with Joey. I think our net lease sector will continue to grow. Um, investors today, whether if you look at the equities market or bonds market, look at the top performing um, equities and bonds, it's all flight to safety. That will continue. Again, I, I'm not in the business of projecting out interest rates for long periods of time, but I do not foresee anything that would make me think that rates are going up in the foreseeable future. will also help take this into the next five years. So compelling risk-adjusted returns, low rates, low risk tolerance to a certain degree, I mean, I, I think NetLease is just going to continue to take more and more share of the overall commercial real estate space. Well, on behalf of the Weekly Take, I want to thank Joey Agri, CEO of Agri Realty. Joey, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And I want to thank my friend, colleague, Will Pike. Will, thank you for joining us. Spencer, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. For more on our show, check out cbre.com slash the weekly take. We'd also love your feedback. If you found us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or another platform, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen. Until next time, I'm Spencer Levy. Be smart, be safe, be well. Be well.